Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own feed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered foods. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. Climbing the food chain. Who are all the players involved in bringing food to our table? As the conflict rages on and on about GMO labeling, who of these players stand to lose or gain the most? Understanding exactly who is involved and what their stake is in the agricultural process may shed light on the motivations behind the pushing of GM foods on consumers and why certain companies and institutions are willing to spend millions to keep us from knowing what it is we're really eating. Agriculture is big business. Over a third of the working population is tied in one way or another to this industry, and it continues to grow by the year as developing countries harness their natural resources to maximize farming output. In fact, the global agriculture market is currently estimated to be worth over $5 trillion. That's a gargantuan industry indeed. But with all that potential, it stands to reason that there are many vying for a piece of that very big and very profitable pie. But exactly who are the parties involved? And what is their stake and motivation in this? With the ushering in of biotechnology and genetic engineering practices, the industry has undergone a quantum shift in the way many agricultural processes are run. But does this create a threat to the existing balance that has been working for the past century? And how does all of this matter to the rest of us? Considering that food is critical to our survival, it certainly is worth giving focus to. And that's what tonight's show is all about. For most of us, We go to the grocery store to buy the food we eat, but we rarely think about where it came from or how it got onto the shelves. But there is a business side behind it all, and one that is more complex than we may realize. It is unsettling to know that our sustenance depends mainly on a network of companies providing us food products, and that without them, we are pretty much helpless. It is also disturbing that what we read or hear about may at the surface seem harmless and appear to have our best interests at heart. But do they really? What are the real motivations in the shadows of this information? Well, that's what I'd like to talk about. Let's dissect the agriculture business to better understand the stake that different players have in this industry. The agri-food world is made up of just a handful of players. There are the seed companies supplying different varieties of crop options. There are the farmers who grow and harvest the crops. 
And there are the food manufacturers responsible for taking the crops in raw form supplied by the farmers and then process and package it into recognizable products. And then there are the traders who deal with importing and exporting of these products. Next are the wholesalers, and finally the food retailers, who include grocery stores, restaurants, and fast food chains. And each of these has a function in the process, and each is dependent on the other. During recent GMO labeling initiatives at the polls, agribusiness food companies and individuals tied to them rallied together. They were willing to spend multi-millions of dollars on primetime television advertisements, on billboards, PR campaigns, and organized events, all to prevent the labeling of any food product containing GMOs. Why? Why did all these food industry companies come together to prevent American consumers from knowing that one fact, that the food they have been eating and feeding to their families has been almost entirely genetically modified? Well, to answer that, let's step back a bit. Since roughly the 1940s through the 1980s, there was a surge in agriculture production. And this was due mainly to what was dubbed the Green Revolution, which was the process of steadily industrializing agriculture. New machinery along with chemical fertilizers and pesticides enabled farmers to better mass-produce crops, giving higher yields per acre. But even still, historically, the agriculture business is largely dependent on several variables that make for uncertainty in crop yields, such as inconsistencies in weather, fluctuations in pest populations, and soil chemistry. But with the mindset of industrialization, it was seen that efficiencies could be implemented to minimize the losses due to these factors. And it was a result of this mindset that genetic engineering applications to agriculture were born. And this takes us to the first in the food chain, the biotech seed and pesticide companies. It is here the process begins. Today, a mere six mega seed companies, Monsanto, DuPont, Dow, Syngenta, Bayer, and BASF, market over three quarters of the global seed supply. That is a staggering amount of control. Each of these companies has a specialty product line of many different varieties of GMO seeds and the specific pesticides that go with them. Monsanto specializes in GM corn, soy, and cotton that go with their Roundup pesticide, while Syngenta specializes in corn that can withstand their own chemicals and are also developing pharmaceutical rice. All the seed companies have engineered seeds to carry stacked traits, and that means they have multiple genetic changes made to them. For example, a seed may be tolerant to arid conditions and have the ability to generate a toxic insecticide specific to the bugs menacing a given crop in a given area. They may also stack traits to be tolerant to combinations of chemical pesticides such as glyphosate and dicamba. It's true that the majority of seeds are designed to be impervious to chemical pesticides, but they are also developing several varieties to overcome adverse weather conditions or to tamper with nutritional content. And these companies have inundated the market with GMO seeds to secure the dependence of their clients. Because seeds are proprietary, they are treated as corporate property and are protected under patent and intellectual property laws. And since the 90s, they have slowly but steadily gained more distribution of their seeds to more farmers worldwide and have thus effectively changed the way agriculture is done. 
Nowadays, these companies dictate terms to their clientele and have expanded their reach into international governmental affairs to influence regulatory policies. And that's really very frightening. Ideally, for biotech seed companies, every crop grown will be from GMO seeds. Can you imagine? No organic native crops anywhere in the world. That's what they want. So in order to grow anything, you must go through a corporate machine that sets and controls pricing, collects fees, and decides what will be grown and what will not be grown. The seed companies know that GMO is gaining more negative public exposure, and so they're working hard to protect their investments. And they're willing to spend millions and millions of dollars to keep Americans from knowing if the food they're eating contains GMO. The next link in the agricultural food chain are the farmers. Not long ago, a mere two and a half decades, farmers were the first in the chain from seed to table. Depending on climate, irrigation factors, and family tradition, they decided to a large extent which crops they would grow and harvest. But now, farmers continue to cultivate whatever responds best in their environment, but are mostly driven by crops projected to make the most money in modern agriculture markets. The farming occupation is no longer a simple life. Rather, it has become a complex business. Farmers must now navigate a list of ever-increasing input costs like specialty GMO seeds, intellectual property fees, expensive technology purchases, new pesticide formulations, soil treatment systems, irrigation, costs due to drastic changes in weather patterns, as well as output factors such as projected commercial prices and transportation of their product to processors or to the market. Now, because the business of farming has itself become more competitive, farmers have had to rely on new technologies to give them an advantage. Some of the largest cash crops in the world today are soy, corn, and cotton, which are now routinely genetically engineered to survive harsher weather conditions and climates and to withstand greater amounts of increasingly toxic pesticide chemicals, all in the name of trying to improve crop yields. Farmers who grow these cash crops are more and more at the mercy of agribusiness companies who supply the GMO seeds for them. And since GMO seeds are almost always paired with a pesticide, if there are specific pest problems in an area, like the soybean aphid in the Midwestern United States, farmers are inclined to use them. And this has created a cycle of dependence for using GMO seeds. In the beginning, farmers were lured by the promise of higher yields, but it is now known that yields do not increase significantly at all by using GMO seeds. However, because they have insidiously become the standard for soy, corn, cotton, and several other cash crops, there are few alternatives outside of GMO seeds. The alternatives that do exist are typically very difficult and expensive to manage. Rice and wheat are the two largest crops in the world. Over half the world's population subsists on rice or rice-based food products alone. Farmers from China, Southeast Asia, and India grow over 90% of the rice available globally. Recently, the GMO seed companies have been pushing for these markets. There are currently several GMO rice projects happening right now, with one of the most well-known being Golden Rice, and that's genetically engineered to contain a higher content of vitamin A. 
and GMO wheat is being engineered to not contain gluten. Both crops are also being developed to withstand pesticides and to grow in more diverse climates. As of now, there are no commercially grown GMO rice or wheat crops, but farmers are feeling the pressure to produce more and more yield. And so, with the world population expecting to reach some 8 billion people by 2030, all focus is on this. Next in the chain are the food manufacturing companies. This segment of the agribusiness machine is responsible for processing and packaging the multitude of food items we all recognize. Some of the very biggest companies in this part of the chain are Nestle, the global leader, followed closely by Pepsi, Unilever, Conagra Foods, Kraft, General Mills, and Tyson. The actual brand names these companies produce are too numerous to list here, but suffice it to say, we are all familiar with them. Food processing typically takes raw, bulk form, harvested crops or butchered livestock and uses these to produce marketable, consumable food products. And it's interesting to note that modern food processing technology was developed and refined in the 19th and 20th centuries, mostly to serve military needs. However, many of the same batch processing techniques are still used to this day. Food processing companies have traditionally marketed their products towards middle-class working wives and mothers through the creation of quick-fix items like TV dinners, a variety of frozen foods, and pre-made mixes and other products needing minimal preparation materials or time. A common attribute to all of these processed foods is having a long shelf life, thereby maximizing the time a product can be purchased all with the intent to increase, of course, profit potential. Also, in order to stay competitive in the consumer marketplace, achieving unique textures and taste for these foods requires special additives that, if not used, would leave food products bland and colorless. And it's here where GMOs come into play. The food manufacturing process has found that soy, corn, sugar beet, and other crops to be very useful as thickeners, sweeteners, texturizers and enhancers and they've come to rely heavily on them in their products. The problem is that these components are almost entirely derived from GMO crops and for this reason food manufacturers around the world are strong proponents for GMOs. If they were suddenly outlawed the manufacturing companies would lose billions of dollars as they would have to revamp their entire portfolio of brand name products. The next rung of the food chain, and least talked about in the agricultural network, are the food traders. These companies form the link between production, import-export, and the retail market. The four biggest companies involved are Archer Daniels Midland, Bunge, Cargill, and Louis Dreyfus, collectively referred to as the ABCD companies. These major traders do not just trade physical commodities but they operate in a continuum from the crop level all the way to food manufacturing. They provide fertilizer and other agrochemicals to growers. They also provide seed and active landowners, cattle and poultry producers, biofuel producers, and providers of financial services in commodity markets. Food prices, access to scarce resources like land and water, climate change and food security are all affected by the activities of traders. Traders have been heavily involved in the transformation of food production into a complex, globalized, and money-making business. 
The ABCD traders tend to be privately held, obscure, and answerable to a board that comprises family members, employees, and or a handful of private investors. Combined with their economic might, this tends to breed suspicion and conspiracy theories, which are sometimes well-founded, as with Archer Daniels being found guilty of price-fixing in 1998 and were required to pay a record fine. Yet, while dominant in their global reach, their access to capital, and power over the farmers who sell them their crops, the traders are also subject to their own share of pressures and constraints that force them to constantly reassess their strategies and to evolve the way that they do business. And they are greatly affected by the growth and stability of world markets, including changes in world population, economic growth, and income. Other factors are global resources and their prices, changes in exchange rates, government support for agriculture, and trade protection policies. But GMOs are playing a larger part in trade and likewise are having greater impacts in global markets. But not all of these are considered beneficial. The United States is the leading exporter of wheat, with Asia importing over 40 million tons of it each year. And just last year, Japan refused the import of U.S. wheat and canceled future contracts because its regulators discovered GMO contamination. And this set a chain reaction in motion throughout the region, with other countries such as South Korea, the Philippines, and Russia joining in on the boycott. Soybeans, traded globally, are typically cultivated on industrial farms, the majority of whom utilize GMO seeds. Soy processing is dominated by the ABCD trading companies, and since it is so cost-intensive, these companies must cut expenses wherever possible. The most effective way to achieve this for now is through GMO seeds. With GMO rice and wheat now on the horizon, biotech seed and trading companies are expecting to do the same thing, maximizing output by cutting costs and utilizing GM seeds for all major food crops. Speculation by these companies say it's only a matter of time that countries around the world will change their negative view on GMOs. Brazil, for example, was one of the strongest resistors of genetically modified soy for some years, but now they have reversed their stance on the matter, and GM soy now dominates agriculture there, making them one of the world's largest GMO soy producers in the world. The final rungs in climbing the food chain are occupied by food wholesalers and retail outlets, where consumers buy food products directly. In 2012, U.S. consumers spent approximately $1.8 trillion on food. The supermarket is the defining retail element of the food industry, where tens of thousands of products are gathered in one location for continuous year-round supply. But restaurants, cafes, bakeries, fast food chains, mail-order foods, mobile trucks, and others also provide opportunities for consumers to purchase or consume food directly. Advertising is a huge component to the retail sector of agribusiness, and it is here where the front lines of the GMO labeling war is waged. Companies throughout the food chain, including biotech seed sellers and the Grocery Manufacturers Association, comprised of CEOs from all the largest food companies, are against labeling because they fear sales of their products at retail outlets will plummet if consumers know the extent to which GMOs have been integrated into commercial foods. 
With populations around the world concentrating in urban areas, the purchasing of food products has become increasingly removed from all aspects of food production. And this has made it possible to keep consumers in the dark about what exactly is contained in the foods they buy. Most of us are influenced by advertising and also trust protective agencies such as the FDA and USDA to guard us from harm. But when these entities sympathize with the interests of the behemoth agribusiness companies, it is made for a confusing and frustrating battle, to say the least, to know what it is in the food we're eating. When we break it all down, it becomes clear that of all the elements of the food chain, it is really the biotech seed companies such as Monsanto, DuPont, Dow, and the others who have insidiously installed a demand and dependence for GMOs. They are the gatekeepers of this technology. They are the instigators who have worked to evolve a fundamental need for their products. For the same reason car manufacturers and retailers defend the oil companies supplying necessary fuel for their cars, so do the farmers, manufacturers, traders, wholesalers, and retailers defend biotech GMO companies. GMOs are the perfect marriage between science and business and is the primary reason they are rigorously promoted by agribusiness. Food and agriculture have become a profoundly complex business operation, all with the objective to maximize profits. Making profit in and of itself, that's not the problem. Rather, it is the incessant drive and lure for potential profit that causes corporations in control of our food to compromise our health and our safety and make critical decisions about the direction we should all take with no input from consumers. So now we'll move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments. And to close each show of the program, I'll go through as many as I can. And up first, we have Carol J. She writes in and says, Anna, I've been a long-time listener to your show and always look forward to your broadcasts. They are always informative and well done. Please keep up the good work you're doing. I have more of a comment than a question. I've been reading everything I can about GMOs in the news, and I keep seeing similar arguments made by the pro-GMO side. The one that keeps coming up is that if GMOs are so bad, as people say, why aren't people dropping dead left and right after eating them over the last 15 years? I know GMOs are bad for us, but maybe they have a point. Could you comment about what you think on that argument? Thanks. Well, hi, Carol. You're certainly right about your uh, observation of this argument, and I've heard it many, many times before. Uh, proponents of GMOs are starting to use it more and more these days, but they are still fundamentally wrong in what they are assuming and saying. See, first of all, there are scientific studies that show definite increases in gastrointestinal illnesses, uh, cancer, sterility, premature puberty, and autism. And these studies show that without a doubt, specific illnesses are increasing at alarming rates and are all correlated to when GMOs were first commercialized and implemented into our food system without our knowledge. And the upward trends of these diseases and afflictions have captured the attention of many medical doctors and medical associations. Uh, findings are posted regularly in medical journals, but it's just, it's not 
just seen in this country. The findings are also showing up in countries who have implemented GMOs into their agriculture. And one of the most important things to remember is that GMO crops are mostly designed to be tolerant to various pesticides, which farmers can douse to their heart's content. But these pesticides are responsible for much of what is being seen. Glyphosate, in particular, uh, is, is so dangerous, even at low exposure levels. And it has been found in the fetuses of pregnant women and in the drinking water of much of the United States. Glyphosate wreaks havoc on our cells and causes subtle inflammations in the body. And we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg with pesticides because GMO crops are now being approved for even more toxic chemicals such as dicamba and 2,4-D. So what will happen when these become irreversibly part of the food we ingest? But the most disturbing aspect to the argument uh, that GMO proponents make is the blatant overlooking of rat studies. Several independent studies show that rats fed strict GMO diets become sterile and develop cancerous tumors, but that this does not occur until well beyond typical test periods done in the biotech GMO industry. The adverse effects don't show until the third generation and beyond. So, if we are to extrapolate the findings in these studies to the lifespan of humans, we'd see that the truly devastating pandemic effects of this will not be seen for another decade or so. But by then, it will be too late to reverse. So next time you hear the same old arguments by the naysayers, don't be too ready to buy into it. Thanks for writing into the show. And it looks like I have time just for one more. Uh, so up next we have Barbara. She writes, uh, hello, I love the show. There's so much information out there about GMOs. It's hard to keep straight which foods are GMO and which are not. I was wondering about bread and the wheat that it's made from. Friends of mine say that it is all GMO, but then I read that it's not. Who should I believe? And thank you if you happen to respond to this. Hi, Barbara. Thanks so much for writing in. I know it is monumentally confusing which foods are GMO. As far as wheat goes, it's true that many field tests have been done in the past and are being done now. As of today, though, GMO wheat has not yet been commercialized. It's not legal to grow it. And one of the reasons is that many countries who import their wheat from the United States expect it to be pure and untarnished by GMOs. Uh, Japan and some other Asian countries recently boycotted uh, U.S. wheat imports after they found GMO seeds in the shipments. And it was traced back to several thousand acres in Oregon, my home state. Uh, of course, this hurt many wheat farmers, causing huge losses. Um, it was all traced back to Monsanto, who claimed they had no idea the wheat was being grown, harvested, and exported. Probably not believable. The fact is, Monsanto and others have been investing millions of dollars to take steps in commercializing GMO wheat. They, they know that if they can tap into this market, it will mean billions and billions of dollars as wheat is second only to rice as far as cash crops in the world. With this kind of potential, it would be foolish to think that the huge biotech seed companies would just leave it alone. So we should expect more to come uh, in the near future as these companies look to expand their portfolios. But for now, GMO wheat is not being grown and sold commercially. So you're safe, but probably not for long. Thanks for writing in. 
And with that, I've run out of time in the segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, fill in the form and just send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice, it really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. And I also want to tell you about the Facebook page for this series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I'd love for you to come and give a like and join in at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh Mad Science Genetic Crossroad. And we're also on Twitter at GMO Mad Science. I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, The Genetic Crossroad. We'll be getting back to our regular schedule next week, so please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, March 18th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named Public Protection, the Agencies in Charge of Our Health and Safety. Who are the consumer protective agencies and what are their functions regarding GMOs? The FDA, USDA, and EPA make up the big three in American consumer protection. But are they doing a good job? A look at the historical actions of these agencies and the people driving them may shed some light. Do they really have an interest in protecting the public? You decide. I hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature... We do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed.